We are in part four of our series called Rebuilding. We're looking through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. So we are in part four today. We're glad you're with us today at Homestead. Um, just to bring you up to speed a little bit about where we've been in this series, we started with this idea that uh, like the Israelites, this, this book of Nehemiah is a time with the Israelites in their history where their city had been destroyed Walls had been torn down, the temple destroyed, and they had been living in exile um, in around the the existing empire at the time as pretty much slave laborers, slave laborers, and uh, and now the time has come where God has said, okay, we're going to rebuild the city. Um, we're going to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. So week one of this series, we talked about this idea that like in the Israelites, God wants to do the same work in us. Uh, he wants to rebuild in us that which is broken. Throughout this series, we've been looking at it in two ways. Um, one is individually. What does God want to rebuild in us individually? What is broken down in your life that God is now stepping in and saying, it's time to build this. It's time to rebuild this. It's time to fix this. Whether it's something, a hurt or an addiction or a, a sin or whatever it is in your life, and God is saying, okay, we've We've dealt with this long enough. We're going to rebuild this. We're going to, we're going to fix this. Um, in addition to that, we're looking at this corporately as a church. Homestead Church, what is God building here? What does he want to do in us and through us in our city? Um, week two, we talked about the foundation for living this life that God wants to build in us is prayer. we got to have a prayer life. We have to have a life of prayer a relationship with God where he speaks to us. He gives us direction. He gives us guidance. Week three, um, the sermon was very simple. It was basically this word, start. Start the work. Do the work. Whatever God has put on your heart to do, whatever work that he wants to do in you and through you, start. Take a step. Begin. And then today, we're going to continue where we left off last week. Um, where we left off last week, Nehemiah had heard from God what God was calling him to do. He had gone to the king of Persia and asked for permission to do this. The king had granted his request. And now he's gone back to Jerusalem with a small group of people. They have surveyed the situation and they've realized the city has been broken down and that something needs to be done. And now they began the work. And there was a great verse in chapter 2, verse 20 of Nehemiah, and it was, the God of heaven will give us success. As they're beginning this task that seemed overwhelming, that seemed daunting, Nehemiah reminds the people there, the God of heaven will give us success. So that's where we left off last week. We're going to continue on today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah 3. We're going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4 today. Nehemiah 3, uh, we're just going to look at a couple things really quick because chapter 3 essentially is names. It's lists of names and the part of the wall or the what city gate they were rebuilding. It lists a group of people and it says they repaired this part of the gate or this part of the wall. So that's like, uh, there's certain chapters in the Old Testament. If you've ever read through it, you get to like Leviticus or numbers, and it's just lists of people and names, and 
the begats, like this person begat this person, and you try to read through that, and you're like, oh, man, this is some pretty heavy reading right now. Well, chapter 3 of Nehemiah is that way. Um, just, to give you, just to give you an example, I'll read a couple verses. They'll be on the screen this morning. A couple verses, like verse 3 and 4 of chapter 3, it says this. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berkiah, son of Meshezabel, made repairs next to him. Zadok, son of Banna, also made repairs. Okay, so that gives you a taste of what Nehemiah 3 is. It's just verse after verse of that. Um, but I want to highlight a couple of things just as we begin today out of chapter 3. One of them is found in verse 12. It says this in verse 12. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Okay, so there's more names in there, but what I want to highlight is that sentence at the end. He repaired the next section of the wall with the help of his daughters. I love that the family was involved. This was not, this building of the wall was not a task for Nehemiah or the leaders or just the skilled experts. Um, everybody was involved. This guy got his family involved. With the help of his daughters, they were rebuilding part of the city wall. I love that. I love the imagery there of the community, everybody being involved. Everybody has a part to play. Another one, just a couple verses before that, in verse 10. Um, again, more names here, and I'll read through them. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Haramuth, which when I first read it, it looks like Harumph, um, which would be an awesome name. We should have named one of my kids Harumph. Um, son of Harumph made repairs opposite his house, and Hattish, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. What I like there is this idea that this guy, not Harumph, Jedediah, Jediah, sorry, is his name. He had his house there, and he noticed right by his house, part of the wall was broken down. So he invested right there where he lived. The reason I'm pointing that out is I love the idea of a local church just being involved in its community. There is so much value when we are involved in a local church that's in the community we live, where we can look through our city and say, hey, we are invested here. This is where we live, and this part of our city is broken down. This is something we can do something about. This is really what the local church is, is being in the community, seeing things that are broken, people that are worn down, and just saying, we can do something about this. This is right where we live. We can do something about that. And as a church, you know, we're, remember, we're thinking of this story, these verses in Scripture, both individually in us and corporately as a church. Well, as a church, we want to be involved in God changing our city. If we have a church that never makes an impact in our city, well, then we're not being the church that God wants us to be. I think of it like this. If, for whatever reason, Homestead Church just all of a sudden stopped existing, I, I use this as a gauge. Would the city even notice? Would the city notice? Would anybody care? Would anybody 
feel kind of a void, like, oh man, that church was here and they used to they used to be such a blessing here, or they used to help with this, or you could always count on them for this. And this is what I want Homestead Church to be, a church that if for whatever reason we left the community, which we won't, but if for whatever reason we did, that we would it would be noticed. We want to be a church that makes an impact in the community an impact in the community. So those are a couple things from chapter 3 that I wanted to point out. But really, the most of our time today, we're going to spend in chapter 4. But really, so far, what we've talked about is this. We as a church, we as individuals, we are here to make an impact in other people. We as a church are here to impact our community. And everybody has a part to play in this. Everybody has a part. All right, we're going to move ahead to chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4 if you're following along in your Bible. Now, up until this point, Nehemiah and this uh, mission that he's been on to rebuild the city walls, everything has gone pretty smooth. He heard from God. He had a burden in his heart to rebuild the city wall. He approached the king. The king was very favorable, giving him permission to go do it, giving him resources to go do it. He's, got, he's rallied around a group of people in Jerusalem that are going to help him. He's gotten everyone involved. The work is going forward. Everything is going along well up until this point. Chapter 4 is when things kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, there's one guy, the, the opposition to the rebuilding centers around one guy named Sanballat. He's the governor of Samaria, a, a, a region close to Israel here, close to Jerusalem. And for many reasons, economic, political, military, um, it is better for Sanballat and the Samarians to not have Jerusalem rebuilt. So he is opposing this. Now, when Nehemiah first shows up, Sanballat, his first opposition is really more just like a doubt. He's just kind of a voice of doubt. When he hears what Nehemiah wants to do, his response is, really, you're going to do this? Kind of like a good luck. Like, really, why would you think you could do that? It's really just a voice of doubt. If you've experienced this in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Someone who is always just kind of the negative voice, the voice of doubt, always saying, why would we do that? Why are you going to try that? What makes you think you can do that? So that's how Sanballat's opposition started. Then as the work became more, it became more and more obvious that the work was going to get done and the work was started and you could see the walls being built, Sanballat gets angry and now he starts trash talking a little bit with some other rulers of other regions around. They're watching this work being done and they don't want to see it completed. So now, so we pick up in chapter 4. I'm going to read a few sections of this. We're really going to read most of the chapter 4 today. Um, I'll start with verse 1 through 3. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. So he's no longer the voice of doubt here. He is now angry. He is a voice of opposition and ridicule. He, continuing on, he ridiculed the Jews and the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. And he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, What they are building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. It's kind of like 
little kid trash talking right there. It's kind of they're making fun of the wall. And I imagine these guys, these rulers, and the one guy trying to be funny saying, if even a fox walked on that wall, it would fall down, and all of them laughing. <laughs> Crazy Israelites, blah, blah, blah. So this is what's happening now. Now they are the voice of ridicule. And here's what happens in f- verse 4. Nehemiah is speaking here. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. It continues on, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half his height, Half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. When it comes to the work that God is doing in you and through you, you are always going to face opposition. Like the Israelites and Sanballat and his buddies, there's always going to be voices of doubt. Sometimes the voice of doubt is going to come from within you, questioning yourself. Sometimes it's going to come from friends or family members close to you, or simply just from negative people. There's always going to be a voice of doubt. There's always going to be voices of ridicule, people who are questioning, people who are opposing you, making fun of you, wondering why you're even doing it, thinking it's a waste of your time. But here's the big point. Look at what the Israelites did. They prayed, and then they worked with all their heart. So here's the point. If God is trying to rebuild something in you, if God has given a dream to you, something he's put on your heart to do, if we think in terms of a church and what we're going to do corporately as a church, when we face opposition, don't quit. Do not quit. Do what the Israelites did. Pray, trust God, and work with all your heart. Don't let opposition sway you or stop you or move you. Keep working with all your heart. It is worth it. The work that God has for you is worth it. We're going to continue on in verse 7. Verse 7 through 12, it says this, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites, and the other men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it, Or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came over and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So things are now getting really tough. Not only are the people weary, and that the job is proving to be very difficult, but now the enemy, the opposition, is now... No longer a voice of doubt or no longer a voice of ridicule. Now they are a threat. Now they are threatening to come in and in a way to stop the building, they are threatening to kill all the Israelites who are doing this rebuilding. Things are very difficult. There are a lot of battles that they're, they're facing right now. In your life, there are going to be days where everything seems like it's falling apart. 
where what God has for you to do is just not able to be done, where the opposition that you have just seems to be too overwhelming. There are going to be days where you feel at the end of your rope, stretched out with all the things that God has for you to do. And those days, that's going to be the day when everything else falls apart too. Car breaks down. Kids' relationships fall apart. You know, your whatever sickness report from the doctor, whatever it is. And you think, have you ever had one of those days where you think, I can't possibly take any more negative things today? You're going to have days like that. And I'm reminding you that every great effort, every great effort that you're a part of is going to come a time where you have to press through. You have to press through when the short term looks hopeless, and you have to remember the long term. What is God doing? What is the goal? What did God ask us to do? And has that changed at all? No, then let's press on, let's move through, let's work with all our heart, let's not be swayed by the opposition. For the Israelites, this is their moment to dig deep, right? This is their moment where they press through, where they do whatever it takes. And so we're going to continue on reading. I'm going to read verse 13 through 18, and then we'll skip ahead in a couple final verses. But here's what they do. In the face of this opposition, in the face of the threats from the enemy, in the face of a very difficult task that needs to be done, here's what they do in verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I love it. Again, the family is involved. This is not just the men or not just the army. Now they're handing out swords and spears to the families. If this was my family, my kids would be like, yes, finally, I get a weapon of some sort. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. I love that they are just still getting the work done. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Now we're going to jump ahead here to verse 22. At that very time, or at that time, I also said to the people, "Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water." That last sentence that when Nehemiah is saying, "None of us even took off our clothes," basically what he's saying is there was no breaks, there was no rest time. Okay, this was all in. 
This was, if you're doing the work, you are doing the work with one hand and holding your weapon in the other. Even when you go for water, you are holding your weapon in one hand. Those who are working are doing their job. And remember, the labor force was already getting tired. Now they're basically cutting it in half, saying, okay, half of you work and half of you stand guard with your weapons. And then we're going to switch. If you're working at day, then you're being a guard at night. I mean, this was full commitment. But I love that in the midst of this, Nehemiah is always reassuring the people, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. We're going to work with all our might, but don't be afraid. God is with us. This is a time when we need to fight for our families, our homes, and our city. There are times when we need to fight for what God is doing in us. There are times as parents We need to spend time praying for our kids and fight for our kids in prayer. That is the weapon, the most powerful weapon we have. There's times where we need to say, you know what, I'm spending time at night, I'm staying up tonight, or I'm fasting during the day or whatever it is because I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to press through. This is an all-in season, and I am going to press through. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to pray. This is a powerful story of God's people being so committed to God's work That when they were opposed, when they were threatened, they simply did whatever it took to finish the work. They didn't give up. Opposition did not change their goal. They continued to work hard, to make sacrifices, and to trust in God. So individually, we're going to apply this individually first, and then we're going to look corporately as Homestead Church in a few minutes. But individually, you... There's going to come a season like this in your life. There will be doubt. There will be ridicule. There will be opposition. You know the thing that God has put on your heart, but there is opposition. Times where it seems like you can't make it through another day. And when you face those times, I want you to ask yourself, similar to what the Israelites would have done, does this change what God has asked me to do? Does it change what God has asked me to do? Does the fact that I'm doubting it or facing opposition change what God has asked me to do? No, it doesn't. Does it change what he wants to accomplish in you, the work that he wants to rebuild in you? No, it does not. Do your difficult circumstances somehow hinder our God? No, they do not. God never looks at your circumstances and says, you know, whoa, whoa, this is actually really tough. You know, you were right. You had good reason to doubt. We better, we better call this off. Yeah, this is tougher than I thought. This is tougher than I thought it was going to be when I began this work in you. No, God looks at your circumstances, and, and as always, he says, I'm with you. I've got this. Work hard. Make the sacrifices. Do the necessary work that needs to be done, but don't stop. Don't stop. Opposition does not derail God's plan for your life. The only question is, will it derail you? Will you give up? So don't quit. Don't quit. The work that God is doing in you is worth it. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is going to finish the work, if you will stay committed, if you will refuse to quit in the face of opposition. 
the most difficult seasons in my life, personally speaking, have been the most rewarding. Every time. Every time I've gone through a really, really challenging, difficult season, there has been, the same time has been the season of the most spiritual growth. God has used the difficult seasons to cause me to grow. This is why God allows these seasons in us, because they cause growth. They cause us to lean into him in prayer. They cause our roots to grow deeper in him. A difficult season has potential really to do two things. It has potential to cause you to grow, or it has potential to cause you to quit. I want to encourage you. He's going to complete the work. Keep working. Keep working. Stick with it. Do not quit. Do not quit. It is worth it. Finally, I want to talk Homestead Church. I want to apply this story to Homestead Church. We launched Homestead Church about a year and a half ago. Many of you were there. Remember that night, big snowstorm? And I thought, well, end of March, planting a church. Sure, of course, it's going to be a big blizzard that night. Um, when we gathered, we just said, we want to be a community of people that helps each other grow in faith. We want to help each other grow. We want to grow in our faith. We want to be a community. We started meeting here at Faith United Methodist Church. We got a good, solid core group of people. There's a great community. There's a great feel. There's good growth happening. Things feel great. I hope you're enjoying. I love the community that we feel here at Homestead. Just has a good feel to it. And some people I know would say, oh, that, that right there is just right. That size of church, you know everybody, everybody knows who you are, you're, you're a good community, you have good relationships with each other, you should just keep it just like that. Well, no, we always are going to keep moving forward. I say that to say that we're not done. This isn't why we're here right now. We've just begun the work. God has just begun the work. I want to encourage us to always continue to do the necessary things to allow God to continue building something great here. So for you as a homesteader, I, want, I need all of us to be in. I need all of us to do three things. And the first is this. I need all of us to grow. I need us to grow. Grow in your faith, in your trust, in your love, in your love for God, in your worship of him. Take steps in your worship. Be excited. Be responsive. Grow in your love for other people. Grow in your generosity, in your level of sacrifice, in your level of service. Grow in your obedience to God when you feel he is asking you to take a step. All the things we've been talking about, God wanting to build in you, rebuild in you, all the broken things that he wants to rebuild, keep growing, keep working, keep allowing God to do that, keep taking steps. We need to continue to grow. Second thing is this, reach out. This is not a community of people where we just kind of huddle together and keep to ourselves. We need to reach out, build relationships with neighbors, with classmates, with coworkers. Reach out, form friendships, bless them, love on your neighborhood. And finally, we need to make disciples. 
We always need to be thinking of those who are outside our community that need to come and know Jesus. We always need to be thinking about who's next. Who do we need to show? Who do we need to invite in? Who do we need to share our faith with? We always need to be thinking of who is next. There's always people to reach. This is how the church is going to be built. Like Nehemiah, we need everyone to do their part. We need you to grow, to reach out, and to make disciples. And as we do that, our church is going to grow in a number of ways. In our level of faith, it's going to grow in our influence in the community, and it is going to grow in number. And we are going to have more people joining us. This is what we want to do. We want to bring more people in. Tell them about Jesus. But as we grow and as we move forward, we're going to need a new home, physically speaking, a building. We have been meeting here at Faith United Methodist for a year and a half, a wonderful congregation. They have been so generous to us, and this building has worked great. But this is not long-term for us. So we as staff members, as leaders, we have a board, we have advisors, we keep looking ahead. We keep saying, what's the next step for us? What's the next step? And so many of you have heard this, and right from, for about two years, we have been negotiating and trying to look into a building in downtown Farmington. We have a picture of that up on the screen. There it is. Yes, that's the Exchange Bank building right downtown Farmington, a couple blocks from here. It's a great building. That's for sale. Um, we have been negotiating on it. We've come close a couple of times because we're not old enough as a church to secure our own loan or financing. It would have to be a contract for deed with the owner or we'd have to raise our own money just to purchase it outright. And so we've negotiated with the owner and a couple of different times it seemed like it was moving forward and then only to have it kind of fall apart. And now it really has gone kind of cold. It, we, we haven't had much contact with him recently. That's one option. That's it. There's great potential there. I mean, there's great potential. It's, it's an old building, so there would be definitely some all-in seasons of let's get this building ready, but there's great potential there. It could be a situation right now where, like those, those uh, skeptics, Sanballat and his buddy, where we say if a fox walked on that building right now, it would fall down. I don't think it's that bad, but it would, requ it would require a little bit of work. There are other buildings in Farmington. There's a Presbyterian, the former Presbyterian church that is for sale. I'm not sure the location and that building is a good fit for us. Other warehouse buildings that we could look at. But finally, one other option is to one day down the road build our own building, which would be great. I love to imagine what a cool homestead church building could look like. Now this option seems a ways away right now, but like I said last week, you, you can't often can't accomplish the whole thing right away. All you can do is say, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? You never know what God is orchestrating down the road. All we can do is just take the, take the next step that God is asking us to do. So one possible step would be for us as a church to look at purchasing land, purchasing some land. There's different chunks of land for sale in Farmington. Um, we could raise some money, we could pay it off over a couple of years, and then when we're ready to build, then we're ready to build. We've got the land. Now, this wouldn't, this wouldn't lock us in. Uh, plans could change. The exchange building may open up and become the best option. Um, something else that we haven't even considered yet could open up, and that would be the best option. We could keep the land for use later. We could use it to build a water park or something, or we could sell the land. Typically, land is an asset that we would have in hand. Um, 
So that is one option. Here's why I'm bringing all this up in this message today, and we're going to wrap up here in a couple minutes. Uh, two reasons why I'm bringing this up. The first is that we always need to be looking ahead. Like Nehemiah, like the Israelites, God has work for us to do. We always need to be looking ahead. God, what are you building? What are you doing? What is next? What would you have us do? The worst thing a church can do is to stop looking ahead and just get comfortable. There's always a next step we can take. In the meantime, we're not just stalled out until we can figure out a building. In the meantime, we are reaching out. There are always steps that we can take. There's always people that need to be reached. There's always a younger generation that needs to be raised up in the faith. I want to highlight our kids' ministry and our student ministry. They're doing awesome things, raising up young people in the ways of faith, having connections built, friendships formed. Um, We need to be resourcing kids and youth ministries Financially, we need to be resourcing it with volunteers. We need youth leaders to come and help pull off events, to help set up for youth services, to connect with these teenagers. We need volunteers in the kids' ministry who would give a Sunday a month to go in and be a leader in the kids' ministry, just to volunteer and help. If you would like to do that, I want you to come talk to me. We need to be doing our part, making the sacrifices, investing, working hard at reaching out to others and training up the young people in our church. So that's the first thing. We always need to be looking ahead. The second thing is this. Also, like we see with Nehemiah, while doing this work that God has for us, while moving forward as a church, there are going to be tough seasons. There are going to be difficult days. There are going to be times when the step of faith is large, when the opposition seems unstoppable. There's going to be seasons where great sacrifice and commitment is needed, where we need to be all in. There's going to be times where we need to commit time and effort and prayer and sacrifice. There's going to be a time where we need to invest financially in whatever future home we have as a church whether it's a building we're going to buy, land that we're going to purchase, something we're going to build, there's going to come a time when I'm going to ask you, each of you, to pray about what God is asking you to give. And I'm asking you to have just enough faith to trust God and obey it. There's going to be times where he's going to give you a number and you're going to think, I can't possibly give that much. But you know that God is faithful. You know that as you step out in obedience, he is going to provide for you in ways that you can't possibly imagine. We are a part of what God is building in our community. God wants to change our city, and he wants us to do it. There is a dark spiritual climate in our city of Farmington. There is. There is hopelessness and darkness. There is a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold of anxiety and depression. And like building that wall that Nehemiah and the Israelites were doing, it's not going to change overnight But step at a time, a family at a time, I love thinking about what God is going to do through through Homestead to change the city of Farmington. I love to imagine our church being filled with people who are lost and weary, who need to find life and salvation. I love to imagine Homestead youth services filled with teenagers in the midst of this culture that screams at them to give up, to despair, to realize there is no hope, 
and defiantly they come to Homestead Youth because they know this is the place where they experience the love of God. This is the one avenue of hope in their week. I love to imagine this dark climate, this dark spiritual climate of Farmington being impacted by the light of Jesus, one life at a time, one family at a time. I love picturing just a light bulb going on in the darkness, a certain part of Farmington, and that spreads to their family. Another light goes on, another person comes and finds life and hope and salvation in Jesus Christ, and that light goes on. And over time, as we are faithful, as we are committed to God, we see the light expand and push back the darkness and God change our city. God rebuild our city. I'm going to close with this verse from the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet at the same time, right, as Nehemiah and the Israelites were rebuilding. He prophesied a lot about the rebuilding of the wall and the rebuilding of the temple. And I'm going to read these verses, Haggai 2, verse 4 through 9. This is a verse that I shared at one of the very first launch meetings for Homestead Church. I pray this over Homestead Church as we meet here, as we think about future plans and future buildings, as we realize that God is building something great here at our church. I'm going to pray this over us. So let's stand together. Let's close our eyes. And I'm going to read these verses kind of just as a prayer over our church. And then we'll be dismissed today. This is Haggai 2, verse 4 through 9. But now, be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong, all you people of the, of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while... I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. I will shake Farmington. I just put that in there. And the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. God is providing declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Amen. Lord, let it be that we ask that you would shake the heavens, that you would cause this city of Farmington to be changed, that people would come to know you that you would fill Homestead Church with your glory. It is for your glory. Whether we're meeting here in all of our future building plans, we commit to you. Wherever it is, God, that you would fill your house with glory. And that wherever we are, it would be a place where people could come and find peace. That in this place, you would grant peace and salvation and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.